Well, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to gather with you guys to celebrate today the heritage of this church. I will say on the front end today that the goal is not so much to glorify individuals who have played a role in this church becoming the church that it is today, but really to bring honor and glory to Christ in our service today. But as we do so today, there are some very unique characteristics about this church. The most significant characteristic is really identified through the people that make up this church. Their service to the local church and to the kingdom has been vital. Now, there's always a danger in naming names, and I'm going to mention a few names here. The danger is the risk that I might leave some people out, and that is certainly not my intention. If I do, I apologize ahead of time, but my intent is not to minimize what any individual has done. Instead, my intent today is to say thanks, because I know that without certain people, this ministry likely would not exist as it does today. In the local church setting, I am reminded of those who provided significant help in building our Family Life Center. I think of people like E.B. Thomas, who because of the fact that he cares for his wife many times on Sunday morning, he's not able to be here, but he played a significant role. John Norris, Irby Pelfrey, Al Malasso, and Bud Sexton, and many others as well. In local ministries, I think of Sue and Eleanor, who do so many behind-the-scenes things, like taking care of flowers or arranging for the communion stuff. Don't you ever wonder how, when you show up on Communion Sunday, everything is already set up and ready to go? It's because other people have taken care of doing that. I think of Martha Evett and Joe Hayes, who have served as past vice chairman of the board, And I think of Keith Brown, who has faithfully served in our kitchen ministry for many, many years. I think of Art, and I think of Beth, who have worked so hard to make people feel welcome when they walk in the doors of this church. I think of Ernie, who makes everybody feel like they are the most important people in the world. And I think of people like Betty Nicholson or Gail Sexton, who simply love other people. I appreciated so much this past Christmas. I took my family over, and our goal was to be a blessing at Bud and Gail's house. And we sang a few Christmas carols. Actually, did we even get around to singing at your house? We did sing a couple Christmas carols. But we got there, and the first thing Gail wanted to do was to share the Christmas story in an evangelistic way with my children. And I couldn't help but think that is probably only one of many, many times that she has done that because that's a part of her heart. Or I think of Rod Rice, who not only has helped our church connect with Clemson Community Cares, but he has had one of the most compassionate ministries I have ever seen, visiting those who have been sick or shut in and taking care of some incredible basic needs that nobody else would want to do. I think of Jim Owens, of Art and Beth, who show up to a youth concert Not because they're looking forward to a specific style of music, but just because they love the young people and want them to know that they are a part of a much bigger church family. I think of Miss Pat Wanamaker, who has so faithfully become a bridge to this community, sharing Christ while helping people from various nationalities to learn the English language. And then there are those who are integral to this being a praying church. 
I think of Billy Faye Harvey, Pat Owens, who recently passed away, and so many others. And there are those who have simply gone out of the way to love and support the pastor. Barbara, Betty, the Pinions, Iris, the Gentries, the Poors, many, many others. There's absolutely no way that I could name everybody. But I am so grateful for the role that each of you have played in this local church and being where we are today. God has used you in mighty, mighty ways. In addition to those who have impacted the local church in incredible ways, this church is unique in that we also are surrounded by those who have impacted the world outside of this local body. For example, I think of the Evett ladies, Marie, Martha, and Sally, who have demonstrated a heart for missions, along with Dr. Ellis and the Wiggins family. I know that there are others, but these are the ones that immediately come to mind when I think of missions. Marie Evett has also served in multiple capacities within the denomination. What a blessing to be surrounded by such people that are not just me-centered and take care of our needs, but meeting others' needs. Then there are the pastors. I consider myself fortunate when I was in Pennsylvania to have a couple of retired ministers in that church. Then I came to Trinity and realized that having two other retired ministers is nothing. We have so many retired or nearing retirement pastors. In fact, as I did some math this past week, among those who are retired or near retirement, there are nearly 400 years of pastoral experience in this church. That does not take into consideration individuals like myself, Kevin Kiever, Bobby Brayerton, Jeff Davis, or Neil Taylor, just the ones who are retired or near retirement. I asked each of these retired or nearing retirement pastors to answer a few questions in preparation for today. The first was simply to share their histories, how long they had been pastoring, where did they pastor, what other roles did they fulfill during that time. It was so exciting for me to be able to read their responses. I wish I could read all of them to you today. But pastors tend to be a little bit long-winded, and if I read every one of them, I wouldn't have any time to preach today. But I would like to read a small portion of one of them, and then I'll give you some highlights from several of the others. This response comes from Reverend Willett Vess. I was converted at Central Wesleyan College when I was 19 years of age. Though I always wanted to be a medical doctor, I felt clear I was called to be a minister of the gospel. I was working as a mechanic in Florida and left a good-paying job. In 1953, my wife and I moved to Anniston, Alabama to pastor the First Wesleyan Methodist Church. My wonderful wife was Mary Nell Lindsay, who still is my only wife of over 65 years. The day we moved to Anniston, August 28th, our oldest daughter turned two years of age. All we owned at that time was a car, a baby bed, and a rocking chair. In the years that followed, I was pastor not only in Anniston, but Columbus, Georgia, 
Talladega, Alabama, Selma, Alabama, Easley, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, Six Mile, South Carolina, Iva, South Carolina, and Oakway, South Carolina. I was a pastor for over 37 years and served as an evangelist for about 25 years. I served as a general missionary secretary in the Philippines and Mexico and ministered in many other countries. I built a water system in Jamaica, built a dormitory in the Philippines, as well as preached in these countries. I held crusades in Nigeria twice, Russia three times, Philippines four, Korea two, as well as ministered in many other places. I have preached about 10,000 times at many camp meetings, youth camps, Christian colleges, revivals, special events, weddings, funerals, and prayed at Clemson University Nursing School and prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. I have been greatly blessed to have a faithful companion who has encouraged me and been honest to help me with my many mistakes. We are blessed with four children, 14 grandchildren, 18 great-grandchildren. I feel so blessed of the Lord to have known so many friends through the years. I am blessed with good health, and though I am now 86 with stage 4 metastatic thyroid cancer, I still go pretty well wide open with working, preaching, teaching, and a host of other activities. In addition to Willett's service, we have one pastor who has spent more than 30 years primarily doing children's ministry, two pastors who also served as full-time missionaries and as professors, a district superintendent, a district secretary, a district statistician, a Wesleyan Investment Foundation board secretary, and multiple members of boards from Southern Wesleyan University, different district boards, and Hepzibah Children's Home. In addition, just from the information that I received, they have ministered in at least 11 countries and pastored in at least 40 churches. It is overwhelming to think of how many people have heard the gospel message solely because of your faithfulness to God's calling. Thank you for your faithfulness over the years. One other question that was asked was related to their greatest joy in ministry and what it had been for them. I will use an excerpt from Raymond Falp's response as it very well sums up the general response I received to this question. He said, It has definitely been seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then growing in their relationship with him. That is the greatest joy for anyone who would be God's servant. Almost unanimously, the greatest joy is found in being transformed by God's grace and growing in him. And as a younger minister, I will tell you that that has not changed. As a token of our appreciation today for your years of service, I would like to take a moment and recognize each of these pastors. As we do so, I will ask Al Malasso. He will come and he will help by handing out the certificates. 
As we do so, I'll point out that if the wife is still living, we have chosen to recognize her as well. This is because so much of ministry is made possible by our spouses. I know that pastors tend to get a lot of the credit for all of the good, and they get a lot of the blame for all of the bad, and we probably don't deserve half of what we get because all of the good is probably the result of our spouse. And we are very grateful, but often they do not hear the word thanks enough for what they do. So today we would like to recognize them. I also want to point out that although most of these individuals are technically retired, ministry does not end at retirement. They are still serving the Lord in various ways, especially within this local church. As such, the certificates that we're going to hand out to them indicate the amount of time that they have been in ministry, including in their retirement. And in Dale Link's case, which he is out with the children this morning, my hope is that his retirement is still far off in the distance anyways. I will ask each of these individuals if they would come forward as I call your name, and I invite the wife, if she is able to come, uh, if she would also come forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to give out some certificates. Once everyone has received it, I'm going to ask you as a church to simply express your appreciation to them for their years of service as well. Before they do that, let me read one brief letter that I received because of this event that we're doing today. This comes from uh, Buddy Rampy, who is our district superintendent. He says, I want to add my congratulations to and appreciation for the ministry of Raymond Falp, Jim Wiggins, Don Milstead, Dr. Malcolm Ellis, Dale Link, Willett Vess, and Jackie Ray. These are all persons whom I have known well across the years. All have been examples of excellence and commitment to their calling to ministry. Some have been mentors, colleagues, and friends. All are heroes of the faith. On behalf of the district, I want to express our gratitude for their years of service to the district. Some have served in other places as well as in South Carolina, but all have made valuable contributions to the district and to the local church. I also thank Pastor Mike and the Trinity Congregation for recognizing these individuals these godly individuals, these worthy servants of Christ. Only eternity will reveal the fruits of their labor in Christ, Pastor Buddy. And what I'm going to do, if you'll hand me this one first, I'm going to read to you what it says so you know what they are receiving. This is the one that is intended for Dale Link, and it says, This certificate is awarded to Reverend Dale and Cheryl Link for 33 years of pastoral ministry. And then we have a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And it's from Trinity Wesleyan Church, January 3rd, 2016. And I signed it as well just because I'm the pastor. Again, I'm going to ask if these individuals and if the spouse can come, we, I really would love to be able to see you up here as well because I know the amount of work that each of these spouses put into ministry. 
Dale and Cheryl Link, for 33 years, are the first couple. Again, they are out in the Family Life Center doing what retired ministers do. They are ministering. Jackie and Blanche Ray, for 43 years of ministry. Their ministry has primarily been in North Carolina and in South Carolina. Don and Carol Milstead, 46 years of ministry. Raymond and Marianne Falp, 53 years of ministry. James and Lois Wiggins, 57 years of ministry. Willett and Mary Nell Vess, 62 years. And then Dr. Malcolm Ellis, also 62 years of ministry. Would you do me a favor and let them know how much you appreciate their service? Someone asked me this past week what it's like being the pastor here, and I will tell you that it is the greatest joy in the world to be surrounded by so many individuals who influence me as a young man and now as a pastor. The verses that were used on those certificates come from a passage found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I want to read just eight verses of that passage. It says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is Paul's message to Timothy. Paul, we don't know how much time he had left once he wrote this letter, but Paul had fought the good fight. 
and he's nearing the end of his ministry. It may be another year, two years, ten years. I don't know how long it was. But he wants to know that whatever amount of time it is, he wants to know that Timothy will carry on the ministry after Paul is gone. Now I want you to notice what I did this morning. As I listed the names of those who have been serving for so long in this church and around the world, almost every one of them is retired or they are close to it. That means that if I didn't say your name, I probably just think you're too young to be included in this list today. So you should take it as a compliment. The second thing that I would mention is that while I am grateful for the heritage of this church, the time is now for the next generation to step up to the plate. As Paul was nearing the end, he wanted to know that the ministry of the church was not going to end because his life was near its end. And that is also the condition of this church today. Don't get me wrong, I hope that all of these individuals can serve in the church for another 20 years. But the reality is that eventually they will not be able to serve anymore. The church needs you to step up now. Now maybe that's a little bit of a scary thought. After all, these individuals have done a remarkable job. We could never measure up to them. These were the pace setters. How can we replace them? And I say that you cannot replace them. But the good news is you are not expected to replace them either. You are expected to take the baton and run the next leg of the race. You're not replacing anybody. You're just making sure that the next generation is still in the race. You are taking what they have done and you're building on and allowing that race to continue. I know it's a little bit of an intimidating idea. But I want you to think about this just for a moment. You see, Paul understood this. That's why he previously wrote to Timothy in his first letter, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Age should never be an excuse for not serving faithfully and honoring the Lord with your life. This past Sunday, the special music was done by Treasure Molasso, and she did an incredibly beautiful job, one of our teenagers. Later today in this service, my nine-year-old daughter will sing for you. Actually, she's singing for the Lord. You just happen to be listening. The youth have just come back from a convention that has called them to passionately follow Jesus Christ and to step up to the plate. Let me suggest to you today that the church is desperately in need of young people, children, youth, young adults, middle-aged adults, who will step up and be the church, not for tomorrow, but the church for today. The time is now. You may say, well, how is that possible? How can we lead the church moving forward? Consider Paul's words to Timothy both in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy. 
First, in 1 Timothy, he addresses the behavioral aspect of this. Behaviorally, we need to set an example in our speech. We need to be individuals who actually talk like those who are filled with the Spirit of God. Often the words that come from our mouths throughout the week are not words that would honor God, but rather they are words that reflect those who are not filled with the Spirit of God. Not only in our speech, but we ought to reflect God. We ought to set an example in our life or in our actions. The church, the Wesleyan church for a long time, has been a church that is known for the holiness message. But I'm afraid that in recent years there has been a leaning away from the holiness message, not just in the Wesleyan church, but in churches as a whole. And it is time for the church to get back to that holiness message. Jesus Christ called us to live a life that is holy and pure. And he still is going to expect it once this generation has passed. It's not going to happen randomly. It's going to happen by choice. We are to set an example for the believers in our speech, but also in our life, our actions. We are to set an example in our love. And there are some people that are easy to love. There are some people that are not. We had a Bible study this past Wednesday night. We were talking about loving others and offering forgiveness to individuals. And someone asked the question, it is a great question, it's something that the church needs to ask. Can we legitimately love, can we legitimately offer forgiveness to people like ISIS? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for those people that we call ISIS Do you know that his love is not extended only to those who are in this room? If we are to take on the heart of Jesus Christ, we must also have a heart for the people whom he loves. The scriptures tell us it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is his love for them, even those who may be the worst people in the world. His love is an amazing kind of love. And as we set a believer for, as we set an example for believers and others, we must do so in our love. Not just loving the people that are just like us, but loving every single individual who who comes across our path. Think of Jesus who hung on the cross. And instead of becoming angry toward those who were bitter toward him and doing horribly cruel things, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is the heart of God. Stephen, as he is martyred just a short time afterwards, he said his face looked like that of an angel because there was such peace and grace. And he prayed the same prayer, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Can we offer that same kind of amazing love and grace that God calls us to? Behaviorally, we set an example in our speech, in our actions, in our love, and in our faith. I was talking with one of the teens as they were sharing their experience this week at the convention. 
And he was talking specifically about a conversation that the youth group had in one of their small group times. He was talking about the New Testament church and how God transformed the world through 12 individuals. There were 11 youth that were there, so this was about the same size group. And really the question is, what could God do through 11 individuals? Here's the reality of it. It's not enough to call ourselves Christians. To set an example in faith is not just about coming to church on Sunday mornings, although I want you to come to church on Sunday mornings. These 12 individuals that Jesus had mentored for three years, they were not half-heartedly following their faith. This was their passion. This was their love. It was the only thing that would bring them satisfaction. I will tell you that when we set an example for others in our faith, when it becomes a passion, it becomes the thing that means the most to us. This world will be changed by the people of God. But if we do this with a half-hearted devotion to him, then we're really no different from anybody else around us. We are to set an example for the believers and for others in our faith. The last behavioral aspect of this, we are to set an example in our purity. This shows up in so many different ways. It shows up in the way we speak. It does show up in many of the choices that we make. I'll tell you the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear about purity is sexual purity. Making sure that we are honoring God with our bodies and with our minds. See, because it's more than just the body. See, sin doesn't just happen on the outside. It actually begins on the inside. God has called us to set an example for others. Behaviorally, it's all of these things in our speech, in our actions, our love, and in our faith. In addition to this, we also need to go back to what we read in 2 Timothy. He's instructing Timothy to stay on task. Don't get distracted by all this other stuff, genealogies and myths, what other people say, what other people want you to say. People won't want to hear the truth of the gospel, but they must hear it. Paul's instruction to Timothy is simple. He wants Timothy to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. A part of that is what we do here on Sunday morning. We sing worship songs that hopefully will at least help people to resonate so that they can worship with, those same, with that same spirit and heart. You listen to the word of God preached on Sunday morning. Sometimes you may even go to Sunday school or you may get involved in a small group, but it's so much more than that. When you live as one who is filled with the spirit of God and your speech and your action, your love and your faith and your purity is on display, what you ought to be doing is pointing people to Jesus Christ. The theme of the church for 2016 is going to be going deeper. We want people to go deeper in their faith this year. 
to dig a deep foundation that is based solely on Jesus Christ. A part of that begins with celebrating our heritage. And we do have a great heritage. But the other part of this is all of us stepping up to the plate to keep the church moving forward. I think of the story of Joshua and Caleb. They were both great men who served faithfully for a long time. Caleb, at the age of 85, declared, I am, still, I am 85 years old and can still fight as well as any of the young men. I can still fight as well as I could when we left Egypt 40 plus years earlier. He might have been deceiving himself a little bit, but I understand the heart. 85 years old, he wasn't ready to quit. And my hope is that many of these individuals that have been mentioned and even stood up in front of you this morning, my hope is that they're not ready to quit. But I know that there will come a day where they will no longer be able to do the things that they have done. And the time is now for the next generation and the generation even to come after that for those generations to begin to step up so that the ministry will not come to an abrupt halt when this generation is gone. God has done great things through this church. I believe that the best days of this church are not behind us, but they lie ahead. But in order for that to happen, all of us will have to be a part of that process. Will you go deeper this year? Will you step up to the plate in your speech, in your actions, in your love, in your faith, in your purity? Will you be one who walks in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and allows him to do things that you could never do on your own? As I was reading through the letters that I received from each of these pastors that stood up there, one of them caught my attention because it addressed this. He said that he knew that what God had done was truly God doing it because he wasn't good enough to do that on his own. The same should be true for us. God desires to do a great work through you. Will you allow him to do it this year? We're going to open up the altar this morning. And as I do, I am going to ask Margie, she's going to come and she's going to play. But as I do, maybe today is a day where you simply need to declare that you want a fresh start. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I'm ready to step up. I am grateful for those who have led up until this point, but I am ready to step up because I am the next generation. And I want to see this church move forward and I want to be a part of that. Or maybe this is an opportunity for you to examine your own personal life and for you to look and say, you know what, I have not lived up to the standard. I have not set an example in my speech, in my life, in my love, in my faith, and in my purity. But today, I want to make that decision. I'm going to ask everyone if you would stand. And as Margie plays, I'm going to open up the altar this morning. You're welcome to come. We're going to have a time of prayer that will follow.